Thanks for tuning into the Foundry Church podcast, where we encourage others to forge a lifelong reliance on God. Join us live, in person, or online at 1030 on Sunday morning. You can find out more about us online at thefoundrychurch.com. Find us on social media by searching The Foundry Work. God bless. I want to start today by showing you guys just a short clip from another church's Sunday worship gathering, their, their Sunday service. And this, you might have seen this floating around. Go ahead and show it, camera. All right, everything's going good. Uh oh. Oh, no. Ah! <laughs> they just keep playing. They just keep playing. I love how they just keep going on. They just keep playing. Look at the guitar player. Nothing to see here, right? The entire stage behind them is like, like a dumpster fire, and he's still playing. And to one of the guy in the crowd, he kind of saw him there in the front, and he kind of goes, hey, hey, like, emergency, stop, right? <laughs> Now, I don't think you're worshiping right when the, when the cross falls on you. Or maybe you are worshiping right. Just, I guess it depends on your view of drums. Um, <laughs> took out that poor drummer. And so we're in this week um, talking about a new weapon that we use to take enemy ground. And we've been talking about what it means to take enemy ground as people who are forging our life on God. And for the past couple of weeks, we've been talking specifically uh, about those weapons that we use to do just that, to accomplish our mission, to, to fulfill the call that God has for each and every one of us. Now, the first one was what? Does anyone remember? It was prayer, right? It was prayer. Last week, we, we had the kids up here, and they took over, and they taught us the importance of God's word and that we just need to do it, right, with all their songs and with all their fun. And today, you guessed it, uh, we're going to talk about worship. Now, when I say worship, what do you think of besides a giant cross falling on that poor little drummer and just destroying his Sunday? Right? When I say worship, do you think of maybe a group of old ladies in choir robes singing off key to a song that they don't really know, right? Is that what you think of? Um, uh, do you think of one of those churches with a smoke machine and you think, ah, you got to step it up, foundry, all right? Or, or, or do, you, do you think of singing at all when I say the word worship, right? Or do you think of something entirely different, right? A guy, I've, I've, uh, as a guy, I've had a hard time uh, with worship because I'm going to be honest. I'm going to be a little vulnerable with you guys. I'm not a great singer. Yeah. <laughs> Shocking, right? About once every other month, I leave my microphone on. And for the last song, when we're standing down here, my phone will blow up with family and friends who are watching the live stream saying, Andrew, Turn your mic off. You can't sing. Right? But, but for me, it, a lot of times worship songs, they're just they're a little girly for me. 
Right? They, they say things like, I want to touch your face, or I, I want to feel your embrace, or Jesus, open my heart. Ew. <laughs> right? right? Give me a, a worship song that says, God, will you sit next to me on the couch, and we'll watch the game, and we'll say nothing and eat chicken wings, and then we'll fall asleep at halftime in our respective recliners. Right? Or, or Jesus, will you get me a Coke from the fridge and eat popcorn with me while we watch a movie and we fall asleep halfway through it in our respective cliners? Right? Or, or God, I just love the way that you created this cigar. Right? Now that's a worship song that I can get behind. And on the flip side of this coin, you know, I've talked with, with Mackenzie, our worship leader, and I've talked with Christina, my wife, and, and, and I see it too, right? When we're up here, uh, we look out at you guys, and we see a lot of things during our song part of our worship service. We see smiles, we see uh, frowns, we see coffee sippers, we see uh, fidgeters, we see yawners, jumpers, shouters. Uh, people kind of grooving around, dancing around, clapping, kind of clapping, uh, shouldn't be clapping. We see people uh, uh, sitting, bowing, jazzercising, right? All right, some of you falling asleep so hard that you almost fall out of your seat. We see that. We see that, right? right? Sometimes we, we get choked up watching someone really get into the music. And other times, well, uh, what was seen can't be on scene, right? <laughs> You guys know what I'm, I'm talking about, right? Well, worship is this seemingly abstract thing. It, it feels a little weird. It, it feels like something that we can't wrap our brains around. Uh, and if you're like me, like I said, it feels a little girly. So here's the question, Foundry Church. How is worship a weapon that can be used to take enemy ground? To fulfill this, this great commission that the Lord has given us. To fulfill this, this vision of being forged, right? And helping other people be forged, right? That is the tension that we need to peel like an onion and make some rings with this morning. And the cool thing is there's this, this story in the, the book of Acts, which we've been digging through, that will help us wield this weapon of worship, so turn with me in your Bible to the book of Acts, to the 17th chapter. Now, if you don't have a Bible, use the Bibles that are in the seats in front of you. And as always, you can take those with you. They are free for you to have, to take, to give away, to use. We're going to be in Acts chapter 17. That's in the New Testament, so the second half of, of the, the Bible. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts. And 17 means chapter 17, which is the big number there as you're flipping through Acts. Use the table of contents if you would like. All right, now let me, let me serve up some context as we're turning there. And we've been working our way through this book of Acts, uh, through this, the start of the church, and we've been uh, reading our history. Right? We've been looking at our story, Foundry Church, uh, the stories uh, that make us. We have finally reached a point where Paul has entered uh, the story. Right? And Paul is the man. Right? Through the inspiration of God, uh, Paul writes half of the New Testament, really most of the New Testament. But before that, he was a Jew who hated Christians. And I mean he really hated them. Right? When, when we talk about taking enemy ground, originally Paul is the enemy who would be, we would be taking enemy ground from. Right? He was going around, he was hunting down Christians, and he was killing them. It was like the latest Jack Carr novel. And no one reads Jack Carr, probably, but me. No? Okay. 
Don't we? All right. See, then he experiences, right? All right, he's doing this. He's killing Christians, right? And then he experiences Jesus, and his whole life changes, right? He begins to what? Forge his life on God and to do whatever it takes to help others to do the same thing, to become forged, right? And he becomes the greatest missionary of the gospel, the good news of Jesus in the history of all the world. And when, when we said in the first week uh, that as a church, we are a people who are willing to do whatever it takes short of sin to forge ahead for the sake of one more soul, right? Paul is the example of what we need to become, right? Uh, of what it looks like to step into the will of God and make that the number one priority of our life, right? He does whatever it is to forge ahead to spread the message, to spread the good news, to share Jesus with other people, to share the, the, the message of what Jesus has done for him with others, and in chapter 17, where we're going to be, Paul, we find him alone in Athens because he was causing some trouble, some ruckus back in Berea. So his friends sent him away for his safety. He's like, yeah, need to chill. People are getting mad at you. So Paul's in Athens waiting for his friends, Silas and Timothy, to come join him in his ministry. And he's, he's, he's walking around, and he starts noticing around Athens the way they worship. The way that these people worship in this city. And Paul has a thing or two to say about it. So let's read Acts chapter 17 starting in verse 22. Now verse 22 is the little number there in your Bible. So Acts 17 verse 22. It says, so Paul standing in the midst of the Aragopas said, men of Athens, I perceive that in every way you are very religious. For as I passed along and observed the objects of your worship, I found an altar with the inscription to the unknown God. What therefore you worship as unknown, this I proclaim to you. The God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man. Nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything. Right, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. Right, and he made from one man every nation and mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place. Verse 27 says that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him. Yet he is actually not far from each of us. For in him we live and move, and have our being, as even some of your own poets have said, for we are indeed his offspring. And then verse 29 says, being then God's offspring, we ought not to think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image formed by the art and imagination of man. And verse 30 says, the times of ignorance God Overlooked, but now he commands all people everywhere to what? Repent, because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by man whom he has appointed. And, and of this he has given reassurance assurance to all by raising him from the dead. Keep, your, keep it open right there. We're going to be back and looking at this. So this, this passage of scripture 
<coughs> excuse me, is often used to explain how we should tell people outside of Christianity, um, uh, people from other faiths, how we believe about Jesus or, or what Jesus has done for us. Like, oh, you don't know who, who you're searching for something. Well, I know that's something. It's Jesus, and that's part of it. But I think if we, if we dig into this story and not just glance over it, uh, there's a little bit more in here uh, to learn, especially about yielding uh, the weapon of worship. So let me point out a few things. First, take a look back at verse 1, right? So Paul, standing in the midst of the Aerogopus, Mars Hill, right? He said, men of Athens, I perceive that in every way you're very religious. Now, in your Bibles, underline very religious. Right? Why did, why did Paul say this? Well, just look back at verse 16 and we'll see why. He says this in verse 16 of that same chapter. He says, now while Paul was waiting for them at Athens, his spirit was provoked within him, and he saw that the city was full of idols. Right? Well, Paul knew they were not just religious, but they were very religious because everywhere he looked was something to worship. Right? Idols in Athens were like Starbucks in America. They're literally on every corner. Everywhere you looked, there was one just popping up. Oh, that empty building, it's a Starbucks now. Starbucks, Starbucks, right? Idol, idol, idol. That's Athens. And this wasn't by accident. You see, 600 years before Paul, a terrible plague had come upon the city. And a man by the name of Ephemendides had an idea. He said, with this plague, let's just put out a flock of sheep. And wherever one of the sheep lay down, we're going to build an idol to the god of the nearest temple. And if a sheep goes wandering about and they're not near a temple, we'll just build an idol to an unknown God. That way we cover all of our bases and we get out of this terrible plague, this, this thing that's afflicting our city. And so that's what they did, right? But here's the thing that I don't want us to miss. We're no different than them, right? Right? Look, look, we're no different because we are all worshipers. And we may not be, like, letting loose our sheep and building idols everywhere, uh, wherever our sheep lay down to take a nap, right? I, I, don't, I don't think we're walking around building these idols, right? right? I don't think we're walking around like Mackenzie or Christina who walk around the hallways here singing songs or, or playing instruments. But, but let me give you an example, right? Have you ever been to a professional football game, right, or a, or a professional basketball game or even soccer, probably especially soccer, right, because they're crazy, Right, how do people act at these games? Yeah. Yeah, that was good. Right? Right, think back to the last big sporting event that you went to. What happened when the team scored? Right, everyone's cheering, everyone's jumping around, high five, and everyone, everyone that is sitting down is up out of their seat and they're cheering. Right, hands go up in the air, people shout. Right, heck, right, some schools, they even play a song that everybody sings. Right? It, it looks a lot like this picture. Right? Crazy, right? And this is the last time the Capitals won the uh, Stanley Cup. Hopefully that happens again. Right? This is, this is, this is what it looks like, right? Now, now, what does this picture look like to you, though? Right? 
kind of the same, same thing, right? This is a, a picture of people worshiping at a conference. The, the first is, a, is a, a picture of a different kind of worship. And, and then this is a, a picture of, of people worshiping at, at, a, at a, a Christian conference. Now let me explain, right? Everyone has this thing. Everyone has this thing inside of them that seeks to find something or someone to rejoice over. Right, something or, or someone to shout about, to proclaim about, something or someone to sing uh, about. And you can say to me, Andrew, I don't worship a hockey team. Okay, maybe you don't. But there is something inside all of us, in all of our lives, uh, that we would drop everything for. Like that, right? Right, there's something in all of our lives that we would be willing to uh, jump up and down in celebration for no matter who is around. There's something in our life that we'd be willing to boo someone else over. Right? Because here's the thing, to really peel this onion, right? worship is simply about value. That's what worship's about. Right? Worship is about value. Listen, I really value a good dinner. I know you couldn't tell by looking at me, right? I, I, I love a good meal. Now, now, there isn't much I wouldn't do for a good dinner out, right? I, I've been known to jump up and down. I, I've, I've been known to shout. I've been even known to sing a, a song about a good dinner, right? I can't sing, but I got a song about cheese. I'll sing, sing it for you after the service. Right, but, but, it's the, but is this the thing that I value most in this world? Right, how, how do you know what you value most in, in this world? Right, is it a relationship? Is it a dream? Friends, status, stuff, a, a good name, some kind of pleasure? I hope it's God. Right? I hope that's what we value most and forge our life on. But how do we know? Well, it's, it's easy to figure out. Simply follow the trail of your time, the trail of your affection, your energy, your money, and the trail of your loyalty. Right? At the end of the trail, you'll find a throne. It's there. We all have it. Right? And whatever or whomever is on that throne is what's of highest value to you. On that throne is what you worship, right? Whether that's a thing or a person, right? Whatever you could have concluded in your heart is worth the most to you. And that is what's sitting on the throne. That's what you, you worship, right? All of us assign value to something. And all of us have something that, that we think is, is most valuable, and worship is our response to that thing. Most of us in this room, we want to say that we value God, and that we, we value forging a life on him the most. So we worship him. We do whatever it takes to worship him, but, but, but I want us to be honest, Foundry Church. To, re to really look at this, right? When we look at the trail of our finances or the, the trail of our time, uh, the, the trail of our energy, and all these things, does it really lead to Jesus? To be honest, right? Church, the, the trail never lies, and there's a throne that's at the end of it. 
We may say we value God more than anything, but the volume of our actions speak louder than our words. Right? The, the proof is in the pudding, right? that saying. Right? Do we come to church only when we have nothing else to do? Do we read our Bibles only when we have a spare moment? Do we only pray to God when we need something? Do we only give to church uh, when we have just a little bit of money left? Do we, we pray when we feel like, eh, nothing else will work? Do we, 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 when we, we think things like this, right? I, I want to put my kids in the best education possible. And, and so we move and, and we do this and we do that. And we pull out our money and we put them in a private school. Or we, we get a private tutor. And we spend every night going over their homework with them to make sure that they get all the right answers for the test. Right? And, and listen, that's not a bad thing to strive for. But is it the best thing? Right, or we think things like, man, we would move heaven and earth to make sure that our child uh, is at church on Sunday morning. Right? Is that what we're thinking? That they're at, at youth group or that, that uh, we'll, we'll stay up late talking uh, through their, their fridge notes or reading the story that they learned in youth group or, or, or what they heard about in the sermon and, and try to talk about how to apply that to their life. Is that more important? Right? Be honest. What are we worshiping? Right? And maybe it's not your kids. Maybe it's your career. Maybe we think, man, I, I don't want my family to struggle the way that I did. And so we, we find the best job that we can. We, we work our butts off. Uh, sure, that means I might not be home every night or any night. And maybe I say when my colleagues do questionable things. Or maybe I, I compromise just a little bit at work. But when I get uh, to the top, then I'll change things. Be honest, what are we worshiping? Right, Because look, right? in the end, worship is more about what we do than what we say, the proof's in the pudding. Right? It's clear that the people of Athens, they worshipped well. They, worshiped, they were religious. All their money, a lot of their time, almost all of their conversations were centered around philosophy and finding the meaning of life. Right? This is the town that gave us Aristotle and Plato. Great thinkers, right? Things that we, people we can learn from. But listen, their problem is, is that they were worshiping the wrong things, right? Their trail of time and energy and resources led to the idol of an unknown God, right? And I think if we're honest, many of us, we find ourselves in the same spot, right? Devoting a lot of our time. Devoting a lot of our energy and a lot of our finances to worshiping the wrong things. Now, get, right, get this, right? When, when we worship the wrong things, when we worship the, uh, the created instead of the creator, 100% of the time we'll be let down. Grab a hold of that, right? Why? Because when we are trying to uh, wield this weapon of worship, but we're worshiping the wrong thing, we're fighting for the wrong team right christina and i love to watch the countdowns on espn i'm a person that loves stories and i think espn is one of the best storytellers in all of our generation right they have great stories but they also do great countdowns and they have great stories on each of those people in those countdowns and so we love to watch these things and my favorite play uh came in at number five in the top 10 worst plays in NFL history. It talks about Jim Marshall. 
Right? They, they tell his story. One of, the, one of the best and greatest defensive linemen in all time, right? The same position that I played, right? Jim started in 270 games in the NFL. I did not. And he played in 282, right? Right? Um, I'm sorry, right? Jim started in 270 games in the, in the NFL, and he played in 282. Like, he almost started his entire career, like every game. Right? He was always on the field. He knew his stuff. But like, take a look at this play that came in at number five in the worst plays of the NFL, and you tell me what went wrong. Let's, let's watch this. <laughs> You know what happened? Some of you, some of you yelled it out, right? They, they fumbled. He picked it up, and then he ran the wrong way. He tried, and, and he scored for the wrong team. Now, I'm always rooting for the big linemen to pick up that fumble and to score, right? But Marshall ran the wrong way. Right? Bless his heart, you would say, right? You know, my favorite part of the clip is at the very end, there's a player from the 49ers that comes up to him, and they, they pat uh, Jim on the belly. And Marshall, Jim Marshall, at the end of the game, he said, I knew I made a mistake when he came up to me, and he patted me on the belly, and he said, thanks, Jim. Right? That, that's when I knew I made a huge mistake. Foundry Church, that's what's happening when we worship the wrong things. No matter if they're good things, it's still, if it's not Jesus... Our king, our lord, our savior. It's the wrong thing. Right? We, we, we put the created in front of the creator. And we're never going to be successful no matter, no matter what it is. I think Satan comes up and he says, hey, thanks, Andrew. Right? Right? You, you scored a touchdown, but you scored a touchdown for the wrong team. Right? He, he thinks it's because we're fighting for the wrong team. We're scoring points uh, for the enemy. Right? And so what do we do? Well, I think if we read on, we'll see. Like, look at verse 29 there in chapter 17. It says, being then God's offspring, we ought not to think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image formed by the art and the imagination of man. Right, Paul says, uh, look, <laughs> he says, look. Right? Look, God, the true God, the one who is worthy of our praise is not something we can form by our hands. It's not a statue made to an unknown God. Right? The true God is not even something that we can imagine. So stop worshiping that crap, right? that, that junk. Right? Stop worshiping those things. The true God, he is our father. Right? And, and that is why he's worthy of our worship. Listen, guys, look, all true worship begins with our adoption. Because each and every one of us, if we say, hey, Jesus, we want you to be the Lord of our life. If we've given him our life, we are adopted into his family. Worship is responding to what we value, right? right? And if we value God most, then we're responding to what he did for us as our father. And what did he do for us as, his, as our father? God gave up his own son so that we might become sons and daughters of his. Right? He sent his son into this world to die in our place so that we may have eternal life as his children with him. Right? And so that's, uh, that's why we worship. Right? 
right? That ought to produce a sense of, of wonder and awe in our lives and amazement in us. It, it ought to take our, our breath uh, away, right? It ought to make us do whatever it takes short of sin to forge ahead for the sake of one more soul, right? It ought to make us want to take up our sword and to fight, to, to, to take up our, our, our weapons and to take enemy ground. Because we didn't deserve that. Right? We didn't deserve God to say, hey, my son, who's been here since the beginning of time, I'm going to send into this world, this ratty old world, into a manger. He's going to live as a man. He's going to set his deity aside. And he's going to live and then pay a penalty for you. We don't deserve that. Right? Because we've missed the mark. But Jesus says, I got it. I'll take that place. Right? And you can have the right to call yourselves children of God Most High and forge your life on Him. Right? It ought to make us stand up and worship. Right? All prayer, all praise, all singing, all worship begins by being able to come to Him as a child. Right? This is amazing, guys. Right? No one forced him to begrudgingly um, take us in, to adopt us as his children. And there was nothing that we could do to have earned it. Right? No man of good deeds or determination to do better could bring us into the family of God. We are his because he made us his and brought us away home to him. Right? Not because we were, were born into a certain family or a certain country, or a certain bloodline, or spoke some magical words. But because before the foundation of the world, Foundry Church, God chose to adopt us in Christ. Shouldn't we value that above all things? Be honest. Do we, though? What, What is sitting on that throne at the end of our trail? All right, listen, church, the, the war is raging for our worship. All right, there's a war out there, and it's just raging for our worship. And it's been raging since before there was time. Right, even before the earth was formed, one of God's highest angels uh, bolted from his presence, refusing to join the ranks of true worshipers, uh, refusing to exalt God above all. He went down his trail, and sitting on the throne was not God. It was himself. Right? In the book of Luke, it says that, that, that in a flash, when Satan did that, he fell like lightning from heaven, exalting himself more than God. Satan was banned from his presence, from God's presence. Having been in God's presence, Satan knows God is central and worthy of all praise. He knows that. Right? But because of pride, he couldn't bow. Right? Uh, uh, spurred on by self, he leads a band of fallen brothers, spreading his mutiny to as many as he possibly can. And that's where we come in, Foundry Church. Right? How does Satan advance his rebellion against God today? Right? And in Romans, we get an example of this, right? By, by contesting his supremacy throughout the earth and leading us to worship and to serve the creature rather than the creator. To serve the created rather than the created, right? Who's blessed forever, it says in Romans. Right? Satan can't stop worship from happening. It's what we're created to do because we're his son. 
where he's created us, we're his daughters, but he'll deceive anyone who lets him, leading them to a puny, unknown God and to score points for the wrong enemy. That's what he does. Right? Right? God knows about this war. And it's evident that he knows about this war in a very story that we're reading. Right? Remember where Paul was in the story. Right? He was in, the, in Athens, in the central part of Athens, in the Areopagus, right? It was named after Eris, the, the Greek god of what? War. Right? Right? Now, it's, isn't it interesting that this is the setting that God chose for Paul to give this address on real worship? Right? Isn't it interesting that God chose for Paul to stand before these professional worshipers and say, you are scoring points for the wrong team. You are worshiping the created and not the creator. Foundry Church, it's clear. We are all made to worship because we all do. And our worship matters because if we didn't, Satan wouldn't care about trying to steal it from God and from you. So what do we do? Right, as, as children of the only thing in this universe worthy of praise, how do we worship him? Right, how do we wield uh, this weapon of worship? Well, I, I want you to look in your bulletin. Go ahead and pull it out if you have it. <coughs> Excuse me. I think everyone was supposed to get one today, whether you wanted one or not. <laughs> All right? This is a little bit different. But look there on the, the order of the service. Right, this isn't anything new. Right? We follow this order almost every single week. Right? We move parts around every now and then. There's like seven, sometimes eight elements that we have in every worship service. And they're listed right there. Right? It's purposeful. Right? It's brandishing the weapon of worship corporately as a congregation together while we gather at the altar. In just a minute, I'm going to have Mackenzie share with us just a few seconds, a few minutes about uh, doing that kind of privately and what that means to forge ahead, fill our cups so we have like, you know, we have that pump, right, to go into battle, right? So let me explain real quick. The first part is proclamation. Right? That's the part of the worship service where we proclaim in one voice who God is and what he has done for us. Proclamation, right, as worship stands at the battle line and it declares to the enemy that this is who you're fighting against. You're not fighting against me. You're fighting against the God of gods, the king of kings. It, it's it, it's um, the guy with the microphone in the boxing ring and it comes down and he says, standing in this corner, weighing in at the entire universe with like a billion and infinity wins and zero losses is the king of kings, the great I am, the Lord of lords, our God. Right, proclamation says to the enemy, this is my king, you're not going to win, right? And then we move into adoration, right? The, the songs that we sing at the beginning of our service, right, is always about adoration to our God. To adore something is not just to love it, right? I wouldn't have, you know me, I wouldn't have adoration in there if it was just lovey-dovey, right? <laughs> right? You know me, right? Right? Adoration means you got to respect it, Right? It's respect. Right? It's to fall down at the feet of the king because of his power, right? his strength, his greatness, because he is the general who kicks some serious butt. That's what adoration is. You're the champion. Right? Right? And we're going to give you the glory and honor because you're undefeated. Right? Adoration not only reminds us who God is, it reminds the enemy who God is. Right? When we fall at the feet of God in reverence and in respect, we show the enemy that, uh, that one day they too will fall at the feet of the king of kings. Right? 
Right? When we adore God in our worship, it reminds the enemy that our king deserves the respect of everyone in the war because he's already won. Right? And we take another foot of enemy ground when we do that. Right? And the next, the next part there, that's right. That's right. Adoration. Hoorah, he said. All right? Supplication. And it's not just a fancy way of saying prayer. Right? Supplication, by definition, is earnestly asking God for something. Right? Remember, earnest prayer, as we talk about as our first weapon, is a stretching prayer. It's not, hey, just be with my cat. It's sick. All right? There's a place for that prayer. But it's saying, Lord, do an amazing work. Let me hear your, your, your will. Let me accomplish your will. Give me the courage. Give me the strength to forge ahead. Supply me, Lord. Supply my brothers and my sister with strength. Right? right? It's, it's earnest prayer. And why is supplication such a powerful weapon of worship? Because with supplication, we can do the things that only God can do. Right? With supplication, everything we aim to accomplish as a church is impossible without it. But with the, the worship of supplication, we do not have to make our own supply. God supplies and we take another foot of enemy ground. And then we have expiation. Now, this is just a fancy way of saying making amends for something. Right? The fancy church history way of saying it. Right? It's, it's communion here at the Foundry Church. Right? It's why we take communion every week. Right? And, and, and most of the time, right in the middle of our service. Because it's central. Right? So it's the time of when we worship God and we thank him for the time when he made amends for all we did wrong. Listen, you know, we, we get hung up on the word sin, and we've all sinned. We've all fallen short, and, and sin doesn't necessarily mean that you, you've broken all the Big Ten, right, the Ten Commandments, but sin means you missed the mark. That's what sin is defined as. Sin is an archery term. You missed the mark. You missed the bullseye. You pulled back your arrow, and you shot it into the tree over there, right, and we're just saying during this expiation time, making amends for God, I shot my arrow over there. And he says, I got it. And he taps that back onto track and it hits the bullseye. Right? That's what it is. That's what we're praying for. We're, what we're, we're doing when we come forward for communion, we're realizing that he's God. And we're not. That he paid this penalty that we couldn't pay. Right? That he's our Lord and our Savior. Right? In the verse that we read each week about communion, it ends by saying this, For as often as you eat this bread and you drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Right? Expiation is worship that proclaims our king came down off the mountain, died, and it did not end there. He's coming again. Right? And we're going to worship him until that time. And then we have ministry of the word. And this is just... Uh, uh, our, our preaching, right? It's the ministry of the word, my favorite part of the service, obviously, right? right? But here's the thing. We don't have a sermon each week because I like to get up here in front of you guys and hear, hear myself talk, kind of. We have a sermon each week because this, as it says in Matthew chapter 4, men shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from your mouth of God. Right? The energy we need for battle is digging into his word together at the altar, and then taking that, right? That's why we have those uh, discipleship guide, the, those questions there on the other side of your bulletin. Dig into that with your family. You do that one night a week. You do the fridge notes that Pastor Jim passes out when you check your kids out one night a week, right? <laughs> right? You, you dig into these things, right? 
And then we have dedication. All right, dedication is just what it sounds like. It's a moment where we put all our hands in and we say, have your way, Lord. We're going to forge ahead. Have your way, Lord. Direct us. It's the amen at the end of our service. And amen, it simply means so be it. All right? So be it. Lord, we've heard your word. We proclaimed you. We, we, we proclaimed your name in adoration. We proclaimed your name in front of our enemies. We, we remembered your great sacrifice through communion. All right? Help us to apply this word. Get her done. We got this, Lord. All right? By the power of your spirit that is in that work with us and through us. So be it. Make it so. Right? And then we end with a commissioning. That's when I jump back up here. Some churches call this a benediction. It's just a, a tying of the bow. It's saying, Lord, we are thankful for you going ahead of us. Because it's your power. Your strength. Right? That's what it is. That's worship. As we worship corporately. Mackenzie's going to come up. She's going to share just here for a few minutes about. I'm going to let her explain. Other words, I'm going to pigeonhole her here. Yeah, so as we were getting ready for um, this, last, <coughs> this last day in the series of uh, Taking Enemy Ground, I did the dumb thing of opening my mouth because I like worship. And, um, <laughs> and so Andrew was like, hey, you should tell people about that. Okay. So um, I don't know if you know this about me. I, I like worship music. Um, <laughs> but I know, gasp, but why do we sing songs specifically for worship? Because yes, living your life that honors God, bringing glory to God by being a good husband, a good wife, being obedient to your parents, going to work obediently. Yes, all of that can bring glory to God, but there's something very, very special about worship music itself. So why do we sing these songs? It's a tradition for a good reason. However, I think just like with prayer that we talked about a couple of weeks ago, we can all too easily ignore its impact for the sake of comfort. Who feels uncomfortable worshiping in front of others? I'll be the first to raise my hand. <laughs> I will be the first to raise my hand. It's not always easy. It is intense. If we get down to it, when we see worship happening in the Bible, especially in the Old Testament, it's intense. The first time that someone says, I'm going to go and worship, it was when Abraham took Isaac up the mountain. That's an intense situation. Another situation is when David's like, undergarments, I'm going to dance for the Lord. That's intense. Thank you for not doing that here. However, I'm not suggesting that we do either of these things, but it reveals something about the heart of worship, which depends ultimately on our willingness to submit our hearts and our minds and our bodies. Now, this is for everybody on all sides of the spectrum, those who are really hyper-creative and very feeling, and those of us who are not, <laughs> who are maybe more practical, who do struggle with this, that's okay. That's why we're here. We're here to encourage each other. We're here to practice these things. But what songs do we see used in the Bible? There's rejoicing. Exodus 15 is the very first worship song. And that's when God leads the Israelites away from Egypt. They're rejoicing because of what God has done. We see adoration time and time and time again. One of my favorite um, instances was Psalm 145, where we are in awe of who God is as creator and we want to have, and that he wants to have relationship with us. And another one is lamenting. However, 
at the end of these laments, and I mean, we have a whole book in the Bible dedicated to songs. Songs are important. They play such an important role. But at the end of these laments, there is, they always end with one thing. A redirection from our terrible circumstances, our not-so-good circumstances, to God's unfailing love for us. And all of these categories require emotion. Adoration requires emotion. It requires your heart and your mind and your soul. Our brains are amazing, and this is the part that I love because I love seeing how God has actually created us, and I, we get to see it. Oh, this is why we are the way that we are. We are highly sensitive to environmental shifts, and most of our brain activity actually happens subconsciously. Surprise, surprise. Emotions are the results of reactions that our brains have to this world. Now, bear with me. I promise you I'm getting back to songs. Humans are unique in the way that we can actually override our fight or flight or freeze reaction. So whenever we have emotions or feelings that are coming up or we get into uncomfortable situations, we can actually override those things. That can be amazing. That's what calls us to be brave, right? Doesn't mean we're not scared, but we do things in spite of that. Um, when we choose not to deal with these emotions or feelings that are uncomfortable, or even those that are deeply linked to memory or things in our past, that can actually be a problem. It's disconnecting us from God. Both in the Bible and in neuroscience, they suggest that by routinely disengaging with these feelings that need to be addressed, we can actually disintegrate our brains. You've heard of the le left and the right hemisphere. Or we could have divided minds sectioning off parts of ourselves that are meant to help us connect with our creator, but also maybe parts of us that God wants to heal. Um, I read this amazing book. Um, it's called The Anatomy of the Soul. It's by Dr. Kurt Thompson. He's actually a Christian and a practicing psychiatrist. Um, again, Anatomy of the Soul. It's great. Um, he is a Christian. Um, I told you this. And he also has for a long time talked about an integrated brain. And he says that emotion is the very energy around which the brain organizes itself. It means by which we um, connect through God and others and ourselves in the most basic way possible. Now God is also emotional. Can we throw up Isaiah 54? Can we throw up the whole thing? <laughs> In this, God talks about his unfailing love that he has for us because he loves us so much and he has so much compassion for us. When he describes himself, it is very often with feeling words. Jesus, God on earth, demonstrated a whole range of emotions, joy, anger, fear, frustration, compassion. Is it possible that if we deny our emotions that we are denying part of ourselves that mirror our creator, a part that was made in his image? He also feels in response to us. In Genesis 6, when God says, I really kind of regret the things that are happening on earth because my creation is disobedient. He was brokenhearted over us. However, in Zephaniah 3, he also says that God is depicted as singing over us with joy. Our God sings over us, over you. He has very deep feelings for you. 
most notably is David's relationship with God because God chose David specifically because of his heart out of all the people at that time. We know that we are to love God and others with all our heart and our soul and our mind. In science, this is called differentiation, the strengthening of all these parts together. And David displayed this beautifully in Psalm 86. In verse 11, it says, Teach me your way, O Lord, that I may walk in your truth. He's craving a deeper relationship with God through knowing him. And unite my heart. Give me an undivided heart and mind to fear your name. And the word fear here is not a reaction out of terror. It is not a reaction to a threat, but it has more of a connotation that David would be overwhelmed with awe in the power of God's presence and beauty. This is what Andrew was talking about earlier. Can you imagine what living in constant awe of God's presence and beauty would do to us as a church? To be so aware that we love ourselves and each other so much that we can be agents of mercy and justice where it is so desperately needed. That's the change that we need to be. Where does music come into this? We're finally back. Thank you for staying with me. So music, the chord changes, rhythm, everything like that, it triggers the right side of your brain. That's your creative part. That's where your emotions come up and things like that. It's also where your memories kind of hang out. But it's in the left side of your brain where one can choose to bury uncomfortable emotions. They process the lyrics and linear thinking. And that's why scripturally-based songs are so important. The psalms give us a formula for integrating our brains and submitting all of our feelings to God. And some um, of them may start with lament, but the psalms always end with the reader or the singer of reminding us who God is. It is a looking up. It is a valuing God for who he is, and it's trusting him despite what our eyes see, despite what our minds are telling us and our emotions are indicating. God wants to connect with us using a part that he gave us. And using tools like worship music to open ourselves to him can actually strengthen our connection with him. but we have to fully surrender ourselves completely, body, mind, and soul. Now, after all that talk about emotion, I do want to clarify it again. We're not here, the worship team is not here to create a trance-like state of emotion. That's not what worship is. That's where the lyrics come in. The music itself opens our hearts and our minds for the words. And what do we sing? We sing songs to remind us of who God is, what he has done, and what he says about himself and us. In the first song we sang today, we find just a few verses that it references. <laughs> Christ is our firm foundation. Studies suggest that the frequency of listening to religious music is associated with decrease in death and, and anxiety and increases life satisfaction, self-esteem, and a sense of control. In addition, the frequency of listening to gospel music specifically is associated with a decrease in all of these things and an increase of self-control. These associations are similar for all races, socioeconomic classes, men and women. It's okay to feel what we need to about this life. Life has been hard since Adam and Eve got thrown out of the garden. <laughs> but if we keep focused on those things, we are, we are not surrendering that part of ourselves up to God and we're like Cain. 
God asked Cain, why is your face downcast? Literally, why are you looking at the ground? Because his offering was rejected. Cain kept looking at his own situation, staying wrapped up in his own life and his thoughts because he didn't look up. And he murdered his brother. Now, we may laugh about that, but we have seen what depression and staying in our own negative thoughts can do to ourselves, to our family, and to this world. The world has been broken for a long time, and it's nothing new. And, but we see fewer and fewer people forging their life and looking up. So it's up to us to use that weapon that we know that works so well of worship music to go out and encourage ourselves so that we can encourage others. So as the rest of the team joins me up here, I want to say it again. One of our strongest weapons in the arsenal is worship music and the act of worship. These songs can just be songs if we don't let them impact us. So if you're one of those people that feels uncomfortable worshiping in front of others, practice. You must practice prayer. You must practice anything that you want to get good at. And I assure you, you want to get good at this. One of my missions, as Andrew has also put it, is to extend Sunday. Currently, we have playlists on the app and you can, that you can find links to, but I want to do more to help you to help you go out. So keep looking out for these things. We want to help you worship God in every way of your life. And if you don't like the songs that we sing, eh, you know, that's fine. To tell you the truth, I don't like all of them either. <laughs> until I start looking at them. Until I start looking at the verses that they're referencing. Until it starts reminding me of who God is. So, if you could... Stand with me. Let's worship together. If you just want to read these words, that's fine too. The music is just there to open you up. But let's worship together. <laughs> 